Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Well, happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. It is the Blue Gold Report being uh, brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. And uh, it is a Memorial Day holiday weekend. Still some stuff to talk about for Notre Dame sports. I do want to remind everybody, if you are listening on your podcast, make sure you rate us and share us and tell everybody about us. And if you're listening on air, thanks for tuning in on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM every Saturday morning uh, what time are we on there? Seven o'clock, I believe. Uh, so uh, let's uh, bring them in. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, some blue gold nuggets, some uh, roster attrition for Notre Dame football, um, their defensive line. We'll talk about that. So still some subjects to tackle as we bring in the head writer for Notre Dame Sports for Blue Gold Illustrated. It's our good buddy, Todd Burlidge. Todd, how are you doing, my friend? Doing well. Going to be a hot, nice weekend here, Rags. Looking yeah. forward to it. This is, this is my last responsibility until uh, the weekend hits. <laughs> Mine as well. Mine as well. Uh, of course, uh, now you have your Blue Gold Nuggets here. I don't see it on here, but did you see what the baseball team did this week? Uh, perhaps. I saw they got clubbed down pretty good by They Clemson. gave up 17 runs in one inning Ooh. in the ACC tournament. The inning lasted 54 minutes, and it promptly ended their season, although they weren't really going to go far. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I believe that's some sort of record. But 17 runs in a 21-4 loss to Clemson. Saw the 21-4 part, did not see the 17-run part. <laughs> I actually got a text alert. That's how big a news that was. And I'm not on any kind of Notre Dame baseball text alert kind of thing. It's that's just funny. a general bleacher report. Uh, yeah, 21-4. I think they ended their season 24-30, and 30, something like that. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, nothing Didn't amount to much this year, but not the way you want to end, that's for sure. Hard to come back from a 17-run <laughs> inning. Yeah, other than call the season an end, right? Y- yeah. Uh, all right, uh, so that little bonus nugget for you there, too. I was going to save it till after, but... Uh, I figured, why not? Let's start off on the bad note and then go raise the go for the uh, rafters here. Here is Todd Burlage. Every week we give it to you. It's your blue gold nuggets. What's up? Six pack rags. This time of year, man, you have to you have to rely on those blue gold. Yeah, nuggets. pile them up, pile them up. up, pile them up. Let's start with a little Vegas action here. You know, I like this kind of stuff. The betting lines are out for college football's Week One games and some pretty good matchups here. Michigan opened as a one point favorite here at Notre Dame. Surprised me a little bit. A road favorite with. Michigan, um, but obviously that suggests it's going to be a heck of a game, basically a pick'em game. I think Notre Dame's been bet to a slight favorite, so something to keep an eye on there. I thought Notre Dame would be like a three or four point favorite, not the case. Uh, some other games of note, produced a two and a half point favorite over Northwestern. Auburn two points over Washington. Texas Tech is a pick with Ole Miss. West Virginia nine and a half over Tennessee. My how, my how the mighty have fallen in Tennessee. Alabama twenty five and a half over Louisville. Miami, Florida, three-point favorite versus LSU. And here's another good game, an ACC matchup on week one. Florida State, a five-and-a-half-point favorite over Virginia Tech. So. Now, now this is all relevant now because you'll be able to bet these games anytime you want. Yep, you can in hop theory. on right so, now. Yep. Uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know if all the states have that law in place yet but because, uh, you know, Indiana – They'll tend to drag their feet on that a little bit. But uh, now that uh, gambling is legalized, 
There you go. Those spreads are even more important. You don't have to yeah. call your local bookie. Buy beer on Sundays, and perhaps 20 years from now, you'd be able to bet on football on Saturdays. <laughs> it's total anarchy here in Indiana. <laughs> it really is. But um, only from 12 to 8. You can only buy beer from 12 to 8. They don't want the responsibility of waking up first thing in the morning and buying beer. Yeah, exactly. Staying up too late for that Got to wait till after church, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. All right, I digress. A little on-campus news. Corby Hall, it's 100 and, uh, 120 years old. It's about the oldest building on campus. It's where Father Hesburgh lived for 50 years. It's where Newt Rockney lived for three years when he was a student here before his graduation in 1914. It's going to be torn down. Uh, it's it's really a historical building. They wanted to renovate it. Not going to happen. It just wasn't feasible to do so. So that building will come down here later next month in June, that is. Moving on to some legal ease here, Lou Holtz versus the Daily Beast. Um, if you remember back in 2016, it was in July, the Daily Beast put on a headline. Lou Holtz gave a speech at a, an event as part of the Republican National Convention, and the Daily Beast got a hold of it. He was talking about immigrants and this and that. He was kind of, was, this, this was all taken out of context because he was kind of repeating a story that his mother told him. Um, and in that story, the Daily Beast ended up running the headline. Lou Holtz at RNC says immigrants are deadbeats invading the U.S. Mm. <laughs> that didn't go over so well with Holtz for obvious reasons, so he sued him for defamation. They ended up settling that case this week. The details weren't given, but the Daily Beast did issue a public apology, um, so that was part of it, obviously. But they did say, they, they basically said, okay, Holtz didn't use the word deadbeat, but we're standing by the rest of the story. So just a little something there. Moving on to some basketball news, Mike Bray. Obviously, Notre Dame's men's basketball coach. He will serve as one of four coaches at the 2018 USA Basketball Under-18 National Team Training Camp. That's a lot to say right there. Uh, that's May 31st through June 7th, or June 2nd. It's at the U.S. Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Basically, they're putting together a national team of, of kids 18 and under, and Bray's going to be a big part of that. Coaches are kind of, it's kind of a star-studded cast, obviously. I mentioned Bray, Bill Sell from Kansas. Anthony Grant from Dayton, Danny Manning from Wake Forest. Those are your four-pack of coaches, and then those four will sit down after they work with these kids and, and trim down the roster. Uh, Purdue coach Matt Painter is actually the chairman on the committee that runs this organization, and he helped put this staff of coaches together. More basketball news. ESPN announced this week the four teams for its 2018 Jimmy V Men's Basketball Classic that will be played at Madison Square Garden on December 4th. It's an annual event, obviously. Money goes to charity, cancer, and whatnot. And it's a great event. Notre Dame will play Oklahoma in the first game of this doubleheader. That will be at 7 o'clock again on December 4th. And then West Virginia will play Florida in the night, nightcap, approximately a 9.30 start there. Uh, ironically, Notre Dame versus Oklahoma. Ryan Humphrey, an assistant coach for Notre Dame, went to Oklahoma originally back from 97 to 99 before he transferred to Notre Dame. So just a little side nugget there. Finally, the ACC Conference and a little bit more hoop news. They're going to propose legislation to the NCAA to go from a 68 to a 72-team tournament, NCAA tournament. What they want to see happen is keep that play in four, that, that, right. that first four in Dayton, but add another first four event somewhere out west for those teams to play, and that's how you would get to 72. As part of this proposal, as far as the changes and whatnot, the ACC is also going to suggest moving back the three-point line, widening the lane, and then resetting the shot clock to 20 seconds after an offensive rebound. 
those are the rules that the NIT used in its tournament this year. So I mean, they must have liked what they saw as far as the ACC participants, and those are your six blue gold nuggets. I don't know why people make such a big deal about expanding the field, because if you look at it, because of all the uh, conference tournaments and getting automatic bids, it basically becomes uh, every team is in it kind of thing at some point, because you can come in last place in your conference tournament, but essentially go on a run and make the, the big dance. So I, the way I always look at it is once these conference tournaments start up, that's when the dance starts, to me, personally. Yeah, sure. But I, I understand not every league still doesn't have that automatic bid. But for the most part, if you do your, you know, you win six in a row, you're going to get in, even though you could end up the season two and 30. And Well, I, I think I look at it more from a perspective, Rags, of that when then when a team from a smaller conference, when that a team is deserving of an at-large bid and then somebody steals it, your two or three win team steals that, and they have to take two. Happened to Notre Dame, obviously, this year. They get bumped out. I think by expanding the field, you will get some quality at-large teams more so. But I agree with you. The tournament really does start with the conference tournaments. But there's so much parity in college basketball now. I can't see anything wrong with expanding it. I've always kind of thought, you know, you worry about watering it down somewhat. Uh, but when UMBC can number sixteen seed can beat Virginia in the opening round, obviously there's something to be said for parity in college basketball. Yeah, and it is the time of year where uh, these magazines put out their uh, all American lists and all that kind of fun stuff. I did notice this article. I'm not sure if you saw it, uh, but Athlon Sports they do a preseason all American list, and there's only one Notre Dame Irish on the entire list, and he's a third team, and that's Julian Love, the cornerback. Nobody else made that list. A little bit surprising because they seem to be, especially on defense, seem to be deep enough with, you know, all those along with all these you know teams in the country. But uh, I did notice that for the 2018 campaign, only Julian Love as a third teamer was named yeah. an All American. I'm surprised Julian Love wouldn't be selected higher than that. I suppose you'd probably look at a Coney, Tavon Coney, perhaps. Uh, maybe he got kind of punked a little bit on that. A lot of attrition on offense and really nothing there to speak of as far as returning starters but aren't with a lot of cons- big numbers. So I, I can't find any All-Americans on the offense. Right. Uh, aren't they considered a top 25 team heading into the season? You yes. would think that they would have, uh, you know, some, I, I did read, Jer- you know, you know, Jerry Tillery was another mission. Yeah, he might be another one, yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here. It was a little bit alarming. You know, you think of All-American, you think of Notre Dame yeah, on the right. top of your head and to only have one. Again, it's just one magazine, uh, Athlon Sports, but it's a pretty significant magazine. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Maybe a Tyler Newsom punter, in all seriousness. Yeah, there's He's no special great. teams, no defense, no yeah, offense. Right, it's right. only one guy. Interesting. So. Well, they better have Julian Lowe on that team. <laughs> True. Well, you talk about the roster attrition here and talking going to our next uh, topic and you know they they, they lose Freddie Canteen now right. and uh which is something we need to talk about because we need to figure out you know as they try to get their 85 man roster who's in who's out this helps a little bit in that aspect but you know it doesn't really help their attrition well yeah it does, that actually does it takes them to 86 now rags we we're going to do this segment last week when they needed to lose two guys and I actually had Freddie Canteen on my list as a possibility he was on the bubble very much on the bubble. You know, he was a transfer from Michigan, played in only three games last year before he got hurt and then was out for the season. He took his grad transfer from Michigan. Now he's going to transfer out of Notre Dame as well. Said it has everything to do with school, nothing to do with football, but you can't help but wonder. Perhaps the coaches showed him the door a little bit, and by showing him the depth chart a lot, you know, it just didn't look like there was going to be any room for him to play. 
Um, so he, he doesn't have to obviously miss any time. He can move on to another school. He did work with the team all throughout spring and did a pretty adequate job there. But again, Freddie Canteen out the door. It takes him to 86. Typically, you don't worry about this so much. But I have to admit that this is the first time in a long time, Rags, that Notre Dame has entered this portion of the season, the off season, obviously, right. but the, the summer season, as I'll call it, up on scholarships, still needing to lose somebody after spring ball. By this time, typically, you're starting to talk about which walk-ons are going to get might get a scholarship because they aren't anywhere near the 85. And typically, you've seen that two or three walk-ons getting scholarships to get them up to the 85. You're still trying to lose one guy. They're going to have to lose one guy. And it's difficult to say who it might be. I mean, some of the candidates, I guess, when I look at, I look at older players that just haven't made any impact. You got, you have a Javon McKinley at wide receiver. He's a junior. Uh, obviously, that depth chart is squashed too. So, kind of maybe keep an eye on him. Dylan Gibbons, he's a sophomore guard. You haven't heard his name mentioned at all, and they really like some of these young guys coming in behind him. So maybe keep an eye on him. Josh Lug, uh, he's a he's a tackle, offensive tackle. He's a sophomore as well. You hear his name every once in a while, but when you're talking about the tackle position here, man, Liam Eichenberg, he's a junior with three, with uh, he would have this year and next year, uh, and I believe a third year of eligibility if he sticks around uh, for a fifth. So those are a few guys there on on defense. Darnell Ewell, another sophomore, have, we've not heard anything about him at defensive tackle. Drew a couple linebackers, although they are a little thin at linebacker moving forward after this year. Uh, but a David Adams, a Drew White, perhaps those guys could be candidates to to jump out of here. Um, Isaiah Robertson, he's another defensive player that hasn't done much. So while it's not a star-studded cast of players, Freddie Canteen was probably the biggest name on my bubble list, to be honest with you. You, 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 one of these guys is going to be gone. I mean, does Ian Book change his mind? Say, look, if, I, if they're not going to play me, I'm out of here. I seriously don't think that's going to happen. But I think those are some of the names to watch. Can inj- and, and I think, an well, injury can help that, right? If yeah, something you happens, get, so you get like a medical hardship, things right. like that. Those pop up a lot. So absolutely, I think that would be a. And typically, what happens with these kids is when in, they're they're have, there's a conversation. It's like, look, here's where we're at. Why don't you redshirt or why don't you do this? I mean, I'm guessing that they're giving these kids. A conversation, at least, to say, we want to go in this direction. What do you want us to do kind of thing? I've always wondered about that, Rag, so I'm glad you brought that up. Or the kid's up. not even in it at all, and you're just like, uh, yeah. you know. I, and I, you're, You know, it brings up a good point, because you, they could be part of the process, because it could help their development if they don't play a certain year. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, and I've always wondered how that goes down, if there is a, a heavy coach's influence on a guy like Freddie Canteen leaving. There was no animosity between the two sides based on the statements by everybody concerned. And again, uh, Canteen said, well, Notre Dame just doesn't offer the, the, the major I want to take, so it, you know, there's no point in sticking around. If I can't study what I want to study, right. I'm probably not going to hit the field anyway. So I am curious, how, and I'll have to poke around and see how that works. Maybe next time we get a hold of Brian Kelly, which will be a while, and say, hey, how do you make these decisions? Are they made with the kids, or are you just kind of – rely on natural attrition yeah and i think that's the the preference is to just wait for a injury b they want to go or that kind of stuff and uh it's a lot easier to make those cuts you know i just wonder because um you know guys that go all the way through spring ball uh-huh. and then leave you know sean crawford you know you, so the, at some point the writing has to be on the wall for yeah, these kids so that's why they leave do they see it on their own though or, or uh, do that, they get the whiteboard out and show it to them <laughs> that's the million dollar yeah, question right, right. 
Uh, all right, well, let's talk about this uh, defensive line now, uh, Todd, because the 2019 class is, you know, we're off to, I know we're, we didn't even get to 2018 yet, but we're going to bring up 2019 yeah. class. They're comparing it to that of the 2011 classes, maybe being the best in quite some time. Well, we mentioned uh, the weak side defensive end, Nana Osafo Mensa, uh, who signed on last week. He's a four star guy, really gets high Todd's marks. Been, Todd's been practicing that Ooh. name. Erica Olungabawale, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, he's from Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Osafa Mensa. I'll just call him Nana moving forward here. Now that I got it, now that I got it out the first time. He's from Fort Worth, Texas. Tom Lemming, recruiting coordinator or recruiting analyst extraordinaire, calls him the best player in the entire Dallas, Texas, Fort Worth, Fort Worth, the entire Metroplex down there. That is saying something right there with the quality of players that come out of that area. Six foot four, two hundred thirty-one. He's rated as the number one hundred five player overall and the number seven defensive end. He joins a group of three more four-star recruits, and we just don't see that that much, especially at Notre Dame. It's so hard to recruit to that defensive line. That's been a deficiency going back to Charlie Weiss and then you know Brian Kelly has struggled, Tyrone Willingham. It goes on and on. It's it's hard to because most of those great players come out of the South, and it's just hard to get yeah. them up here. Uh, academics become an issue with some of these guys. Uh, but defensive tackle, this dude's a big dude, 6'2", 300-pound Jacob Lacey. He's a true nose tackle. He's going to be a heck of a player. Again, 6'2", 300 pounds. Number 141 overall and the number 9 defensive tackle. So another top 10 at his position there. He's from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Another defensive tackle, Hunter Spears, 6'4", 280. So obviously has a frame you can put more weight on. He's he's listed as the number 18 defensive tackle in the class, so a top twenty kid there, and he was uh, courted by Bama, yeah, Cal, exactly. uh, Michigan State, some big schools. Yeah, he's another Texas kid, and then uh, outside on the other end, the strong side end, Howard Cross, six two two sixty, good pass rush build there that you can put some weight on. He's rated as the number twenty three defensive end. He's from Montvale, New Jersey's coast kid. The reason I kind of wanted to list these guys, they already have a starting lineup from the 2019 <laughs> class. When you look at two true tackles playing where they need to inside and a strong side end and a weak side end, keep in mind in the 2018 class, they whiffed at the weak side end. They didn't bring anybody in at that position. Uh, so that's why the signing of Nana helps quite a bit there. Work isn't quite done at this position yet, Rags. They still want to get one more pass rusher. Of course, who doesn't, right? Everybody wants another pass rusher. Well, didn't they offer? They offered uh, some kid out of Zealand, right? Michigan, uh, Adam Berghorst. I think they offered him. They made an offer sheet to him. He's a six-seven defensive end. So you know they can there never be too deep at a line where you're lacking the sacks. So the you know we've been begging for some quarterback uh, rushes here, but uh, it, it does certainly help. Uh, maybe not this year so much, but next year for sure. Yeah, and you never know for sure at these positions. I mean, you go back uh, to some good old days when, you know, Daniel Cage and Pete, how, how do we say his name? Pete Mukwaya. <laughs> Cage ended up being a pretty decent player until he had to end his career short because of concussion issues. Makwaya. Makwaya. Uh, he ended up uh, doing very I'm going to let you keep going, little. brother. <laughs> I'm just going to keep plugging along here. And then I remember the class with Micah Drew Treadway, Elijah Taylor, and Brandon Tiasum. That Really, none of those guys amounted to anything. Two of them transferred. Drew Treadway still hanging around, but, but not doing much. But what they like about this class, and you mentioned it off the top, Rags, is a lot of people are saying when you put it together with the entire defense so far for 2019, because they have some wonderful defensive backs, we won't break all those down right now, but have some wonderful defensive backs, they need to kind of work on the linebackers here in 2019. A lot of people are saying this is the roots of the best defensive recruiting class 
under Brian Kelly since 2009 there. A lot of the credit has to go to Mike Elston, the recruiting I was coordinator, say that, yeah. and Clark Lee, who obviously has been a seamless transition with the departure of Mike Elko to Texas A&M. But you mentioned it, the 2011 class that people want to compare this one to is, is, is you know, perhaps even surpassing the quality of it. Uh, Aaron Lynch... Uh, Stefan Tuitt, Tony Rate Hall in 2011. A lot of people think that, indeed, this 2019 class is on pace to be even better than that group. Uh, Tuitt was a beast. Oh, uh, man, man, he, he was, was terrific. So good. So good. Uh, all right, well, you know, I've got a little track and field note here. Did you... For this is an extra, we'll get to at the I end. I have a lot of track and field. Ooh, you may, you might, we might cross paths. Oh, all here, right, though. we got some because uh, I have some two sport athletes coming up, and I have a feeling I know where you're going with yours. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, Troy Pride first. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, but surprise, that surprise. actually wasn't mine, so uh, ah, okay. no, so I got something here. So go ahead, let's talk about uh, two sport athletes. He's got the uh, 4340, which is pretty impressive. That would do well at the combine, yeah, that would do well at the combine, yeah. Well, <laughs> With the laser beam measured at 4.38, handheld, it was 4.30. Either way, it's fast as lightning. Uh, good stuff there. Troy Pride, is he had a heck of a spring. Brian Kelly said he was probably the best player throughout spring ball. He's a cornerback. He's going he's gonna, to he'll be a starter for sure, opposite Julian Love. Um, he's a track star, so I started looking at his stuff. Obviously, he's a football player first, um, and, and he had a nice... What did he do last year? He had 22 total... He only played in eight games. He didn't start playing until later in the season. Still managed 22 total tackles, had an interception and one tackle for loss, broke up a couple passes as well. Um, some some good contributions there. He will be a starter, and that's a really star-studded uh, two-pack there with love and pride. Uh, a couple cool names, too, actually. Now that I mentioned it. Love and Pride, yeah. yeah I'll take it. Gotta love it. And then uh Tupac was a good name too. I mean he he went too early, but um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the four three eight forty. Um I looked at his times this year during his track season and his ten point five oh in the one hundred meters is the fifth best in Notre Dame school history. And his 21.16 in the 200th is ninth best of all time. And those were both run in this year's ACC championships. Brian Kelly couldn't rave enough about this kid throughout spring ball, just saying he's improved so much and he was already really good. Said he was probably the most pleasant surprise that he had of all the players throughout spring ball. Good stuff. Now you want mine? Yeah. Well, uh, they were trying to get... Somebody to represent them in their 27th straight appearance at the NCAA's track and field national championship out in Oregon. Oregon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got three. Yeah. The three are going. So, see, I... I, all, I, dis- I all distance runners, right? Uh, mm-hmm. One's a vault. Okay. The guy is a vault, Nate Richards. He uh, cleared 5.15 meter and then 5.25 meter later on. So, he's going as a vaulter or a vaultist. I don't know what... <laughs> One who vaults, and, and then you had two women in uh, in running, uh, Annie Hefferman and uh, Anna Rohr. Anna Rohr, she's a local girl. She's a superstar. Uh, great stuff. They're both in the ten thousand meter, uh, so uh, we wish them well. Uh, as that's it, would have been unheard of if somebody didn't get out there. But I've been to that event out in Oregon. Yeah. There's a lot of fun. Well, I mean, it's the premier. Yeah. Outside of an Oregon Duck game, this is huge out there. Uh, so this should be uh, great. I think there's a couple other people that could still qualify. There's a, this weekend. There's more going on, but uh, we're we're assured that we're going to get some track and field representation. Yeah, Anna Rohr. She's uh, she went to Mishawaka High School. I did not know she that. Ran here locally. Yeah, she's a really nice gal. I did a couple stories on her for sure. And we were. I don't know. I was just kind of after 
looking at the Troy Pride stuff, and since it's a little bit of a slow time of year, I just started thinking about two sport athletes at Notre Dame, and I guess obviously some of the, mo- the ones that jump out that are a little bit more recent. Jeff, I got one. Jeff Samar just trying. That's to, my one. He's going to start stretching <laughs> out a little bit. Uh, it's been it's been a few years back now, believe it or not. But I didn't realize that he was uh, he actually was a freshman All American pitcher. Um, here at Notre Dame. I didn't realize he had an All-American honors. His career was a so-so. Obviously, he's had a great Major League Baseball career, at least a long one. Um, it was sort of interesting because he played in the 2004 Blue-Gold game and then was the starter the next day in a game at the University of Pittsburgh. So he pulled double duty for sure. Remember Evan Sharpley? He's kind of yeah. a friend of the show. I haven't talked to him in a while. But uh, he was a heck of a player, baseball and football player, coming out of Marshall, Michigan High School. Uh, he earned all state honors in both sports. Check these numbers out. Then, when he was a senior in high school, he hit 510, 15 home runs with 45 RBI in 28 games. <laughs> uh, and he's one of the nation's top ranked quarterback prospects. So, by the way, 510 means every time, every other time you get up, you get a hit. <laughs> right. I like the 45 RBI and 15 home runs in 28 games. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. Pat Connaughton, obviously, he will be my yeah. favorite. I'm going to try to get him on the show next week, Rags. I put a note out to him. I haven't heard back from him yet. Sometimes he needs a couple weeks. But he always comes on. We always get our PC catch-up catch uh, segment there. He had a solid baseball and basketball career, obviously. And this year, he actually did, did a pretty good job with the Portland Trailblazers in his third season. Everything climbed. He averaged 5.4 points a game, two rebounds, 1.1 assists. And he played 18.1 minutes at Rags, I think, is probably what is the most important number on his stat sheet. That's, poor, that's called progression, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because his first year he averaged 4.2 minutes, and then last year, the season before this, he averaged 8.1. So he's certainly moving in the right direction. He is a restricted free agent, though. Interesting. Uh, Would have been nice if he helped them win a playoff game. Yeah, the qual- I mean, they got swept. The, the qualifying offer for him will be 1.839 million dollars. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Perhaps we can... Uh, we can chat with him a little bit about it. Torrey Hunter Jr., another football baseball guy. He is actually playing with the Burlington Bees of the Midwest League that will move through Fort Wayne and play the Tin Caps. He was here in town, actually, locally here not too long ago, playing the South Bend Cubs. He's batting 286 this year, has six doubles, four triples, one home run, 11 RBI, scored 25 runs, has 12 steals and 14 tries. Cole Komet, obviously two sport current two sport He's current, athlete. Yeah. yeah, his his season just ended as you mentioned. Twenty four and thirty was the baseball team's final record. He led the team with eight saves this year. Had an ERA of five point oh five. He went two and five in twenty six games. So a pretty solid year as a reliever. Yeah, not bad. We haven't had a chance to see much of him from on the football field. I think we will uh, moving forward here. Uh, we talked about Troy Pride staying on track. I guess is a good way to put this. Let's kind of look at some of the track stars. Remember cornerback Alan Rossum. He was a heck of a kick returner, good wide, uh, just a well, speed speed burner. The obvious one to me is Rocket, right? Didn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. He was a he was a two sporter, right? Didn't he run track and field? Yeah, he was. Uh, he's one. Of, we're going to get to him because he's one of only four Notre Dame athletes in history that were an All American in two wow. sports. Um, I didn't realize that. I didn't, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Alan Rossum was a two-time All-American uh, in the 55 meters, and he still holds the 60-meter record here at Notre Dame in 6.68 seconds. Running back Randy Kinder was also a 1994 All-American in the 200-meter. He holds the record. Running back holds that record, 21.11. Remember Bobby Brown? He still holds the record in the 400-meter. He was built Brown, like a wow. He was still he was he was built like a 400 uh, runner. And then uh, fullback Ryan Mahalko. He still holds the Irish. These are all football players, obviously. He still holds the Irish javelin record, two hundred twenty-two 
58 inches. I mentioned the four All-Americans in football, football players that were also All-Americans in a second sport. Moose Krause gone way back when. Uh, he was uh, All-American as a football tackle and a basketball center. He actually served as an assistant basketball and football coach before becoming the head coach here at Notre Dame and eventually a longtime AD. Uh, Bob, or I'm sorry, Dick Arrington. He was a two-way star. He was an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman gone back. Uh, helped John Hewitt win the 1964 Heisman by blocking for him. Then became a consensus All-American himself in 65, and he finished third to become an All-American in the 1965 NCAA Wrestling Championships. So that was kind of cool. Bob Golick. Yeah, wrestler. A, yes, That's right. Terrific yeah. wrestler. Was part of the 77 title team and All-American linebacker there. What did he have? He had a ton of tackles. 479 career tackles, which is second all-time at Notre Dame. Uh, and then he finished fourth as a wrestler in the 1977 championship. 54, four and one How in his career. That? Not too shabby there. And of course, uh, you mentioned Rocket Ishmael. He was a first team All American as a sophomore in '89, and again in '90. He was actually in '90. He was the runner up to BYU's Ty Detmer in the Heisman Trophy. Um, he holds records still at Notre Dame for receptions per catch, 22 yards. Not too shabby there. Kickoffs returned for touchdowns, both a game two and a career five. And he still owns the Notre Dame record in the 55 meters, 6.07. And he ran to All-American honors in that event when he finished second in the 1991 NCAAs. So those are your four All-Americans. I have one more for you, Rags. All we're, right. we're gonna talk Did you about bring, the- bring up uh, uh, Ron Reed? Did I miss him? No, I didn't. He's on here, but I didn't know if we were running out of time. No, Ron, you're good. Ron Reed, he's one of like he's on an all century team for yeah, Notre Dame, right? Exactly. He's a basketball and uh uh yeah, he was pretty he played for the Pistons, I believe. Yeah, and he was a pitcher for the Phillies, yeah. I believe yeah. it was too. He actually played professionally both basketball and baseball, so good stuff. But I like this one because it was a Fort Wayne connection. Because there are a handful of female student athletes that have excelled in two sports at Notre Dame. Perhaps most recently and most notably, she went to Bishop Lures High School, graduated in 2001. I actually used to cover her when I was working for the Journal Gazette there. Emily Loomis. She was a terrific athlete. She started as a volleyball player, was a wonderful volleyball player here. She went to Notre Dame from 2001 through 2005. She was a five-year student. And she actually became a wonderful high jumper as well. So she's the only student athlete in Notre Dame history to earn all Big East honors in two distinctively different sports, volleyball and high jump. Now, do you know who the first four-star athlete was? The four uh, different athletes. Sports. Oh, four sport I saw it during my research. Is it? Uh, oh, it's gone way, way, way back. Yeah, nineteen forty-seven. Johnny Lujak. You got it. Uh, football, baseball, track, and base. Uh, I'm sorry, basketball, track, and baseball. Yeah, there's a lot to sort through here. You, you could probably do a whole show. Might there be is because there's but... others like uh, Chad DeBolt, right? And he, he, I saw him on the list. He, yeah, he, he was uh, lacrosse yeah. and and uh, football. You yeah. don't really see that too often, right. you know. And he played bagpipes. Yeah, I, I bet you're looking at the same website I was. As a uh, maybe, fact. maybe, but it, you know, it's an interesting subject because it's a dying art, not only in college football but in the lower levels. I mean, you got specialty sports now sure. taking away from, especially baseball players. They're doing other things. They'll just be if you're going to be a pitcher, it's twenty four seven. You're going to be a, a baseball player or a pitcher. And that, now, you know, I was growing up, it was always. Uh, uh, play as many sports as you can, especially sure. in the off seasons, to keep in shape and all that kind of keeps your hand-eye coordination going. If you ask me, 
But uh, some proponents say specialize what you do, go that way. Most coaches, I would think, and most parents are still leaning towards stay active and play as many sports as possible. They want to. It's a great debate. And, you, you know, you talk to people and they say, well, they should do them all. But th- then again, are you are you falling behind the Joneses by right. not specializing? You know, it, it is a great debate. I think the, the really good athletes eventually rise to the top no matter what. But, but you know, in this day of specialization, it, it's certainly tough for a parent to say, Man, my kid's on the fast track to uh, you know to to a basketball career. Why do I want to mess around on a football field? Well, it's interesting with all these high class athletes. We really haven't had too many more uh, Deion Sanders, Bo Jacksons yeah. of the of the world anymore. You know, it, it hasn't. Occasionally, it'll pop up here and there where they're playing two sports, but never on that high level. Right, right. Uh, and that's been a good twenty five years now, Todd. For that to even matter, I, I, I'm trying to think of someone that's come to my head that's been able to do both, but it. it if anybody, like a guy like Russell Wilson, he could do both, but he doesn't because the money is just so big in one sport. Why sure. would you risk it playing another one? Yeah, and it's, I don't even know if contractually, because of the big money that Well, any, if you're an NFL owner, yeah, do you want this guy going to spring training and playing another sport? Yeah, you and you're, spend, you're spending $20 million, $30 million on a guy. Uh, it's just you can't do it. I mean, he got Tim Tebow now. He's in the minor league system, but again, not at a high level in both sports. Definitely, he's definitely a star, but uh, definitely not on both sports. That's what makes Pat Connaughton so interesting to me because he still has that option. <laughs> yeah, he still has being a pitcher. He's in the Orioles organization still. I don't quite know how all that works out, but I know they have rights to him for several years. So that's still on the back burner, and he's following his dream. He's doing exactly what he said he wanted to do. He wanted to play NBA ball first. Last as long as he could possibly last, and then see perhaps if there was a baseball career still waiting for him. So he's going to be one to kind of track to see if indeed he can play at that high level you're talking about. He already has one down, probably in my opinion for him, probably the hardest of the two to play at a high level. Maybe I'm wrong there, but well, it seems it's just that not way. enough jobs in yeah, basketball. There right. just aren't enough jobs where you can make big money, which is why you know a lot of people. I remember when Samarja graduated, he had you know what road was he going to take, and he smartly to me took the baseball road. A, your career is much exactly. longer, much much longer, and you can make a lot more money over the period of time. Where he might have been a superstar wide receiver, mm-hmm. you know, he had his moments on the mound, and he's still going. But it it he might have been a different kind of player in the NFL. I wonder if it would have translated uh, and been a superstar football player as opposed to you know, a relative star pitcher. He got on the right teams. It helps he was on the Cubs and, and the Giants, but uh, he never he was never really an upper echelon no. starting pitcher, but he made upper echelon money. Exactly. And he's still going. And, and would he still be even going in the NFL? It's so hard to predict. I would not think so. I mean, when you're talking about, you know, when was he done? 2005? Well, in, yeah. And then you hear stories of, like, Richie Incognito thinking he works for the NSA, throwing yeah, weights at people, going right. bonkers. Right, needs that? You know, you got the DTE uh, factor, and it... Very rarely, although you do see people get hit in the head with baseballs, very rarely is uh, is is that a factor. CTE is, is a factor in the uh, in baseball, where in football it's becoming a problem. Yeah, yeah, uh, big time. Yeah, I heard about that too. So certainly, Samarja made the right move. You're right. Perhaps 
career-wise and career-wise and notoriety-wise, maybe football would have been a better option for him when it comes to big headlines and success. But certainly financially and longevity, baseball was the right option there. <sighs> it always is. It, it always, always is. is, my friend. Yeah. All right, as we wrap up the show here, do we have some sort of timeline so people know when to start paying attention and when uh, you know students, uh, athletes are back, a football player? When, when give give us a timeline here, Todd, if you have one on when we can actually start ramping up and getting ready for uh, uh, I don't want to call them OTAs, but you know what I'm saying. Just, yeah. They're here. This is real now. When, when are we going to get all that? It's that first week in June, I believe. It's it's, it's, it's I, I wish I had a calendar in front of me, Rags. It's like that first Monday, Tuesday in June uh, is when the players will report. And that's when they'll break into their units and whatnot. And, and this is where your team captains and your leadership becomes so important. They can do some work with the strength coach, Matt Ballas, they can work with him some and do some morning drills and running and those types of things. But the coaches themselves, the play callers and, and kind of the brains behind the outfit, they can't they won't have any contact with the players. So that's where it becomes important for like a Drew Tranquil to get his unit together and, and teach the young guys. I think that's probably the most important dynamic of what happens in June is bringing in these twenty some players. Uh, that have never, you know, never done anything like this. Trying to get them ready to go because Brian Kelly likes this freshman class a lot, and he thinks he has some guys that are going to be able to contribute. So it's very important for these older guys, these captains, to get these guys ready to go for when training camp starts. The coaches can get their hands on them, and hopefully they're ready to hit the ground running. And I'm always curious what, what they do from now until then. Are they, I mean, I guess they're hitting the weight room. They're they're looking at the the playbook. I mean, what kind of conditioning they should be doing or are doing when they're not here on campus? Well, that's that's kind of up to them. And I, is, I, is, I promise you that the, that the weight staff gave them a nice little checklist of exercises and things they need to look look at. Well, I'm and sure I, there's also a heavily mandated uh, uh, law what she, they can and can't do sure. in the off, off time because you know the NCAA is going to have a hand in it. Yeah, and I promise you also that the coaches went to these veteran players as I was talking about. He said, okay, here are some of the drills I want you to do. Here's what I want you to concentrate on. So they've been coached on how to coach during this time frame. Because they're not studying now anymore, because that's a lot of their time too, Todd. Yeah, absolutely. Well, summer school will crank up here shortly. I'm being facetious, I of course. All right, so we we got through another show, and it's not our off season. There's never an off season here <laughs> for us. Uh, we'll be back and do it all over again next week. Uh, Todd, uh, once again, thank you so much. Uh, and, of course... If you are listening to us on a podcast, which I know you are, make sure you rate us and share us and tell everybody about us, and you can get us wherever you download podcasts. There's nothing to worry about. Or you can go to ESPNFortWayne.com if you need help. And, of course, you can always listen live on uh, ESPN 1380 and 100.9 FM every Saturday morning. Uh, It is brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Todd, uh, we'll do it all over again next week, my friend. All right. Sounds good, Rex. Thanks. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.